bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
was not coming back. This was the end of Superman. And this week I did go back and I watched like a bunch of news stories covering this event. And what I thought was interesting is that, you know, headline news, uh, E, ET, uh, Orange County News, all these stations really did treat treat this like things will not be the same. Mm -hmm. However, when they went into these shops and they talked to the old heads who were there behind the counter, they were like, no, no, this is a stunt. He's coming back. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) So a lot of like the more um, uh, seasoned comic book readers at the time were already going like, "We, we know how this game goes. I have two thoughts. Thought number one is like, in second grade, I had no idea that Superman was had died or was dying. And it's I think it's so funny that like there were these huge cultural happenings in the comic book world, but in like normie world, I was like I had no idea. Plus I was in second grade. I'm like I you learned to read like 2 years ago. <laughs> um and then the second thought is like this might be a controversial opinion, but I am not anti-gimmick. No. I love a gimmick. I want a polybag. I want to get like some kind of like hologram trading card. Dude, throw in a pog. Like, or, you know, <laughs> kill a character. Like, to me, I, I love a stunt. Why not try a thing? Why not? I also love a stunt. I love a gimmick. Yeah, chromium covers. I'm into it. I have nostalgia for him now. Uh, I loved the reaction to the death of Superman when it was going on and revisiting it this week, watching news stories, watching, you know, uh, what, what it was Orange County News, and they were at Don Allen's shop in Lake Forest. And you can go to YouTube, link in the show notes, and watch this massive crowd enter his store. He's taken a casket, put it in the front window of his shop. How fun. He has Superman's cape above it. He hires cosplayers as Lois Lane. He has a cosplayer as Batman. They're reacting in character with the customers, talking about the loss of Kal-El. I love that. One of my favorite news stories was from Headline, and they started off going, look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a corpse. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like aghast. They were really troubled at the death of Superman. And the shop people, this is the one where folks are going like, no, he's coming back, don't worry about it. Uh, Reporter, calm down, it's not that big of a deal. This is a narrative, it's a business, blah, blah, blah. But the reporter for Headline is talking about how now comic characters like Kal-El, like Superman, they're seen as corny. You know, they're Mm -hmm. the Boy Scout. Whereas you go to the stands now, who's popular? The violent characters. And the three violent characters, Lisa, that they mentioned who are more popular than Superman at the time, can you guess what they were? I'm going to guess the three characters more popular. Okay, I'm going to guess. Because of their violent behavior. Uh, I will guess Spawn. No, no image. No image? No image. Punisher, yes. The Punisher is the first one. Um... It's a Marvel character. They're all Marvel characters. They're all Marvel characters. Which I thought was interesting. Uh, More violent. Uh, I don't know. Spider-Man? Now I'm lost. No. Punisher? Wolverine? Oh, yeah. And the third one that they mention is the Infinity War. Oh, 
yeah, the third character. Yeah. Everybody, everybody loves and wears wears the T-shirt of Infinity War. I'm gonna cosplay as Infinity War at the next San Diego Comic Con. I, 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 they have like this little kid and. His like under his name it says serious investor, and this little <laughs> kid says, "Look, it doesn't matter about the quality of the story inside. It's about how much this comic is going to bring you on the aftermarket." Gross, gross. <laughs> so that is very much the headspace of 1992 when the death of Superman happens. They do interview uh, the edit- editor at the time, Mike Carlin, who Dan talks about I think briefly in our conversation, and Mike. Is talking to the reporter. He says, "Look, you know, you know, sometimes when you you know sales are a little low, you got to do something in extreme. And so we're doing something in extreme. And then the reporter asks him, like, well, you know, is this it? Is this the death of Superman? And Mike Carlin's like, well, we don't know what death will do to the Kryptonian biology, so we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> so, you know, no one who was reading these books was fooled that Superman would never come back again. But it still obviously got a massive response from mainstream media. But, you know, I was one of those kids. I was not a serious investor. I thought I was, but I wasn't. I was hook, line, and sinker. Uh, pulled in by the death of Superman. And I remember being really uh, surprised. These were the first Superman comics I ever read. They got me to read Superman because I was that kid going like, young blood, yeah! There is like this insidious narrative about like the comic book industry going like, um, oh, we've got to sell a bunch of comics. Like, so we got to trick people into buying our books so we'll kill Superman. Like, there's something, like, malicious in in that <laughs> intent where it's just, like, of course they're trying to sell comic books. I do find something kind of, like, I do get kind of skeeved out when someone holds up a book and goes, like, I don't give a yeah. flying F about what's in this book. All this means to me is potential dollar signs in the future. Well, like, that is, like, a major, like, ugh. Yeah, we, because of... I, uh, I mean, certainly in my case, my, my reaction to the speculator bubble exploding in the 90s has made speculation in general just something very distasteful mm-hmm. uh, to, for me. And we're really all about reading and the stories and the characters and the emotions that we get out of these books. So, yes. We, you- have, we have the uh, privilege of being able to prioritize other types of values other than monetary value. But you're right, it is a business and they were trying to get more eyes on their Superman books and their initial plan was to marry Lois and Clark. But in 1993, a year after 1992, they launched the Lois and Clark TV series Mm -hmm. and they got word from on high that you can't marry Lois and Clark in the comics before we do it in the show. And that's our plan for the show. So you got to hold back. And then their response to that was, fine, if we can't marry them, we're going to kill him. I did watch Lois and Clark. I know. I, I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> and I did too because of the Death of Superman comics. I read these books. I read Funeral for a Friend. I read Reign of Superman. And these are the books with the addition of the Christopher Reeve movies that made me a Superman fan. And so when media started to explode and comic book culture became pop culture in general, and we got shows like Lois and Clark, I was in. So when you read The Death of Superman, you weren't like super emotionally attached to him as a character. Like how did it feel 
reading that book and watching him die. It's hard for me to access the emotions of that child, Brad. I don't think I was that emotionally You weren't like, like bent out of shape. It. No, it didn't bother me. I was certainly intrigued and surprised that DC Comics would kill what I would say at the time was the most significant and probably still is the most significant character in comics. So I was excited more than like, you know, sad. Rereading the comics this week in anticipation of our conversation with Dan Jurgens, I was surprised yet again at how emotionally I was this time. I think these books, if you pick up the trade paperback of the death of Superman and the way that the story begins with Doomsday busting his uh, way out from the earth, you know, those first four or five pages where he's just smashing his fist over and over and over again on that wall. And then he explodes and erupts. And the way that that story slowly brings him and Superman together. There's all these sequences where Doomsday is, you know, terrorizing the forest like a little bird lands in his hand and he crushes it and he kills it. And you're like, oh my God, this guy kills birds. And then a deer comes by and he breaks that deer's neck. You're like, oh my God, what a monster. Pure evil is coming. And then the Justice League show up to take, you know, take care of him. And, you know, Guy Gardner gets his butt kicked. Booster Gold gets his butt kicked. Blue Beetle, Fire, Ice, Maxima, Bloodwind. They're all getting their butts smashed. And meanwhile, Superman is doing some sort of talk show that's being beamed into all the schools across America. And he's just talking about, you know, his experience with the Justice League and they want to know all the gossipy stuff, but he's trying to like moralize. Mm -hmm. And while he's, you know, educating the youth of America, Doomsday is coming, Doomsday is coming, Doomsday is coming. And then Doomsday arrives and it is thrilling to see them finally throw down and then as it builds up to that final issue where Dan Jurgens illustrates the whole thing in these splash pages, by the time they take that final punch where they do that Rocky Apollo Creed thing where they hit each other at the same time and they both go down and Jimmy Olsen takes that photo, I, I was rocked by it. Mm. Uh, now, I'm curious, Lisa, what your emotional experience was reading that issue this week in anticipation, having not had the experience that I did back in the 90s. For me, that original 90s comic really highlighted the idea that we as a culture were taking Superman for granted. Because um, once Doomsday gets there and starts fighting Superman... Superman is like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And literally everyone in Metropolis is just like standing around <laughs> watching like him. Like it's a golf match. Exactly. Going like, oh man, uh, man, this is exciting. I can't wait to watch <laughs> Superman beat this guy. And Lois is the only one who is aware enough of Clark's vulnerabilities and she's the only one going like, I don't think, I don't, I'm not positive he's got this. Yeah. And um, like, I wonder sometimes what the death of Superman would have been like if we had not anticipated it as a culture. Yeah. If they, if it just came out yeah. on the stands like any other comic. Yeah. And you were watching, you were wa watching this fight, just like, you know, the, the dope standing around in Metropolis. And then- 
feeling that emotional impact of a sudden, unexpected death. You would have gotten to the end of that issue and you were like, no, no, that's not happening. And then you would pick up the next issue. It would be devastating. I, I... I wish we had lived in that world where we didn't have to promote the event to get those sales. Because that would have been incredible. I love the idea of underscoring the importance of a character by creating an opportunity for eulogies. Yes. Who hasn't had the fantasy of being like Huck Finn and being like presumed dead so that Mm. you can Mm. be the fly on the wall of your own funeral to find out what did people actually think of me or... Albert Brooks in Curb Your Enthusiasm yes. the last season. Yes. He wants to experience his own funeral. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. I mean, we started this episode talking about how I want my body to be shot out like a torpedo. Mm-hmm. I, I want that to happen because I want to see it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And we all want to hear ourselves be praised in a way that someone wouldn't do if you they knew you were standing there, like like not for your benefit. But I think also with the death of Superman, like, if you think about, like, if Superman is vulnerable, if Superman can die, if Superman can be beat by someone else, like, I am clearly not safe. Mm, yeah. And the other people I love are clearly not safe. Yeah. And I think that that creates stakes, Yes. In storytelling. Yeah. What I enjoy so much about the life of Superman story that Dan Jurgens does in the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary special is he looks at that event through the eyes of his son, John Kent. Mm-hmm. And John Kent's in school one day and a presenter has come before the class and he's talking about what it was like to be there when Superman died. And John Kent is like, whoa, 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 whoa. His mind is blown. What are you talking about? Mom and dad never mentioned this. And he's upset and hurt by it. But like, there has never been more evidence that Smallville is in the Midwest (laughs) than Superman not telling his own son that he died. (laughs) Yeah, we know parents who would do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But- The comic, The Life of Superman, is able to look back at this media event that was a stunt Mm -hmm. and say, look, there are ramifications to what happened after the death of Superman and what went down in the funeral for a friend storyline and how it still reverberates in the lives of not just Lois and Clark, but all of Metropolis. Ipso facto, you too, the reader, were affected by the death of Superman. You cannot dismiss it as one of those silly gimmicks from the 90s. Just because it was a gimmick does not make it cheap. Like, the entire universe around Superman changes just by him losing one time. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that this story underscores like that kind of like um uh like I I use the word in the interview betrayal. Yes. Like inferring that Superman failed us or or like betrayed us when he died. That wasn't exactly my intention. What I mean is like we had a worldview. The worldview was we can continue to function because Superman will always win. And the second that he's killed and he's taken off the board, we have to restructure our entire understanding of the DC universe. And like, and 
having to change your mind hurts. Yeah. And it's hard. And the betrayal isn't not Superman's necessarily. It's your expectations. Yes. You're betrayed by your own expectations. Yes. Uh, and, and we try to talk about that a little bit with Dan. Dan doesn't necessarily interpret it that way. Mm-hmm. But this conversation, what's so great about it is, you know, we get to go back in time, talk about what it was like to construct the death of Superman. We talk a little process, of course. We talk a lot about the emotional experience and why it was important to him today to revisit that storyline through the eyes of John Kent in The Life of Superman. I think it's also fun to contrast how much, like, Character building and story building has changed Mm. over the past 30 years, particularly in the creation of the new villain, Doombreaker. Yes. He, like, through Doombreaker, it emphasizes that we do prefer now to get into the psyche of the villain a little bit and foster more sympathy for the circumstances. And, like, even with, like... Doomsday and how he's kind of been retconned yes. to be like this traumatized torture victim. We understand why, oh, well, that's why Doombreaker is so upset. And the, while we don't condone his actions, we totally understand where he's coming we from. We get how this happened. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of that was really fun to talk with Dan. We really thank Dan and DC Comics for connecting with us to have this conversation. We're really excited to have it. And I think we should just be quiet and get right into the chat. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Comic Book Couples Counseling. Welcome. Great to be here, Brad. Uh, nice to talk to you both. Thank you. Uh, we we would like to start at the beginning, your beginning, this idea of Superman. Do you have a first memory of the character? It, it's very wispy, Um but but certainly I remember seeing Superman uh, more from the George Reeves TV series, uh, which wasn't on a lot in my area. But I remember that uh, that sense of just sort of seeing Superman and this idea of, wow, there's this guy on TV who flies, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and after that, it uh, started to get a little more specific as I got older. But that was as a young kid. I mean, I was like five, six, maybe. And it would have been in reruns and all that. But that's kind of the first memory I have. The reason I ask is because I think similarly, my first Superman was a cinematic one or a live action one with Christopher Reeve. But my first Superman comic was The Death of Superman. And I remember walking into Joe Gumbinger's comic book shop in Burke, Virginia and picking that book up. And it was just a wild entryway into the character. And I'm curious for you uh, now as a creator, what was your initial emotional reaction to hearing this idea as it started to bandy about the office? Well, so, you know, this is something that we had talked about uh, once or twice before in a meeting, whereas we were just looking for stories and we would talk about classic Superman stories that had been done earlier that we liked. There, there had been uh, uh, an imaginary sort of story called The Death of Superman. And we touch on that and talk about it from time to time. In this case, um, we already had had some plans for a story and we knew we wanted to do something new uh, or something different rather. And so as part of that, Uh, I went into the office as we got all the writers together. I had two ideas sort of scrawled on a notepad. And one was 
Death of Superman, and the other was, you know, Monster Crashes Metropolis, without any idea that those would be put together. And we we brought it up and we talked about Death of Superman a little bit. It didn't really catch traction. So then we moved on to other ideas, just, you know, what could we do for a storyline that might travel across the four titles? And then Jerry Ordway is, then um, did say, well, maybe we should just kill him. And that's when we got into it a little bit more. And more specifically, what we really started to focus on was this idea of, okay, if Superman was gone, if Superman is dead, you know, what would the story be about? What, what would we actually do? And we started to build in this idea of doing a commentary on how important Superman was to the world, meaning the DC world, the DC universe, and the cast members. And we got so interested in that. And I'm sorry for how long the answer is. Dave. No, Please. this is what we want. But, okay. <laughs> but that's what we really got interested in was all the character bits about what would happen about, you know, Ma and Pa Kent seeing their son die on TV when they couldn't tell anybody because no one knew, you know, Clark and Superman were the same, all that kind of stuff. Um, once we got really invested in exploring the meaning of Superman through this story, it became very, very easy to start to latch on to doing a story called The Death of Superman. So like when you are actually like sitting at your drawing board and and creating the death of Superman, was that like a giddy feeling like, oh man, the audience is never, or was it like a, a somber thing for you? It was, you know, it was a range. And one of the reasons, Lisa, that it is such a range is because, you, you know, you're not just sitting down and able to create it in a very short amount of time. It, it was a month long process. So you go through a range of emotions. And, and the first one was just the difficulty of, since it was an all pay, all splash page issue, mm -hmm of trying to select, you know, the 30 or so best scenes that we're still going to tell the story. Because in a way, the inclination would have been as an artist, I'll do page after page of Superman and Doomsday, you know, punching the, the living daylights out of each other. But that doesn't tell the story. And, and so it was isolating the exact shots that would be used to tell the story. Um, and then just faced with the obstacle of trying to make the story work, trying to make it look interesting, the somber feeling that you kind of mentioned started to come later. And most notably when Superman had fallen and Lois was holding him. And because at that point you realize, yeah, we really did this and I'm done with this story and he's not going to be in the next issue. So I, I think that given the amount of time it took to write and draw 70 Superman 75 that you go through quite a range. Now, like one of the uh, cliched hot takes of comics is that it doesn't matter when a superhero dies because they're just gonna come back. So there's like no stakes. And for me, um, like reading, the death of Superman back to back with the life of Superman, you take this opportunity to say like, not only did the death of Superman matter, you know, 30 years ago, the death of Superman still matters today. Like, was that in the forefront of your mind when you were creating this new story, like an, a response to that criticism? No, because that criticism wasn't quite as entrenched at that time that, mm -hmm. You know, we had seen um, death in comics and, and 
prior to that one, the most notable one was probably going to be either Phoenix mm -hmm. uh, of the X-Men at Marvel or Gwen Stacy of the X-Men at Marvel or uh, of the X-Men of Spider-Man. And, and so those tended to be a little more permanent. And we saw shades of them coming back one way or another, uh, most notably Phoenix by that point. But this idea that every single character who died was going to come back wasn't nearly as entrenched as it became later. What I love, though, about the life of Superman is how you show that that moment, even though he resurrected, uh, it, it did matter and it still matters within the DC universe. And you're telling that story also through John Kent's eyes. And it's such a revelation to him. So we are a little curious as how you started to formulate the life of Superman around that idea. Uh, John Kent, you mean? And, and how yeah, around John Kent special? and also yeah. just showing how important the death of Superman was. Well, I, I think so. As we started to conceive of this project um, and, and recognizing that it's, you know, the 30th anniversary, the idea was, well, you know, what's new about it? What can you say that's a little different or a little new? And one of the things I, I came up with was this idea that really in Superman's, in the universe of Superman characters, the newest one really is probably John. And if, if this idea of, you know, a nine-year-old kid being in a classroom when someone, a teacher starts to talk about the most famous day in the history of Metropolis and the class is all paying attention and gee, what's that going to be? And the teacher says, the day that Superman died, and you're Superman's son, and you're sitting there, and you had never heard anything about it. I think I, I knew you could get good story material out of that. So later, as we go through that issue, and Lois is talking about it, it's also a sneaky way of building a little bit of a commentary in as explaining what the world was like 30 years ago when all of this went down. So I, I just thought that John was a natural. And, and it also gave us the question, a, a chance to ask the question of, can this happen again? Because John goes up to Clark and he says, well, does that mean I can die and come back and you can die and come back again? And so, you know, we address that question too, part of which is what I just think makes it a fun story. And revisiting the story uh, 30 years later, I, mean, I imagine it's not something you had plan too far out like I, like did you ever think you would be doing a story like this one no i i have said um you know many times that if we go back to 1992 when we were doing the story and and so the story came out in november of 92 that just building up to it you spend so much time immersed in the story just trying to get the books done and out on the stands and not ship late or whatever there's no way you can really even sit back and start to think, what is this going to be down the road? At that time, so if it's summer of 92 and we're drawing and writing the stories that are coming out in November, we could not have anticipated the reaction that the story got from the rest of the world, where it became a major news story all over the globe, uh, most notably, you know, United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. But then to even kind of think, well, what am I going to do about this in 10 years or 30 years or whatever? Well, no, that's not going to happen at all. Because, <laughs> you know, when I when I talk to younger creators, one of the things I do explain is that at that time in the world of comics in 91 or 92, having a story reprinted was not co a common thing. 
that it, it was still relatively rare for stories to be gathered in trade paperback form or something close to that. Um, so, you know, you just kind of, I think as a creator kind of figured you did a story, it would come out and then it's on to the next issue because that was that. What was it like for you as a creative going and kind of revisiting yourself from 30 years ago and going and looking at those old images, those old words and those old notes? How was that for you, like nostalgic wise, but also like as a creative comparing the past to your, to your present? It, it was it was a little bit weird. And I didn't anticipate that going in because I just thought, oh, yeah, then once we're ready to start, I'll just sit down and start to do this. And so once I pulled it out and started looking at it again, I didn't realize, for example, that my approach even to Doomsday had changed over the years, that now I draw Doomsday a little bit differently than I did even in that um, that issue or when he first appeared. Um, one of the things, you know, Brett Breeding uh, did the inking on my story and, you know, it's the first time we had worked on an interior together in, in like 25 years. And as we yeah. talked about it, uh, you know, for example, I started to realize how much I hated drawing the Daily Planet building. <laughs> it has all these Art Deco sort of relief plaques under each and every window. And I staged the whole fight uh, in this issue to take place in front of the Daily Planet building again. I said, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> I, I should have found an easier way, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And it was weird because we both realized we were starting to remember uh, some things that we had sort of forgotten in the process of working on that issue. And some of it was, even as we were doing Superman 75, we were getting pretty late. And, and you know, Mike Carlin would be, our editor at the time would be calling us up saying, you guys gotta go faster, where are the pages? You know, just just that kind of thing. So it was it was both fun and a little weird to get back on the memory train. It's hard not to like compare and contrast the two stories. And I did notice how your approach to Doombreaker was so much more sympathetic than your approach to Doomsday. You've created a much more sympathetic villain. And um, it reminds me of like one particular moment from uh, the death of Superman. And it's when uh, uh, Superman is telling Lois like, hey, I have to go at Doombreaker the way that Doombreaker is, is going at, at me. I have to be just as ruthless. And Lois goes, well, like, well, you can't do that because uh, Doomsday is fighting to kill and you and you don't kill. And then um, by the end of the comic, but that that statement is like no longer like true. So because um, he dies, but and... not only does he die, he also kills. So it's right. like a betrayal twice over. Like when you were writing this new comic, were you thinking about not only do I have now, of course, we know that uh, Doomsday comes back and, you know, or Doom Breaker. Do, uh, yeah, version. but anyway, but yeah. um, just like Superman, Doomsday doesn't stay dead forever. But um, were you going at, at this new story trying to rectify those both of those things? Not only can Superman die, but he also has to like. Um, he can't kill. Yeah. He also has to return to that principle of not killing. I wouldn't say, well, I, I would just adjust a couple of things there. Sure. And and one is that, so what I have always said about Superman 75 is that even in that moment uh, when Doomsday and Superman both hit each other simultaneously and they both went down, there, there wasn't necessarily on Superman's part 
the desire to kill. It was more, he just wanted to end the fight and, mm. and put Doomsday down with the strongest punch that he could muster. And that, it, it, like I said, it wasn't an intent to kill as a, much as it was just stop this here and now. Um, so because of that, I wouldn't quite use the rectify in terms of this story, but in terms of this story, what I did want to do is have a solution. And, and that that's what we didn't have as part of Superman 75 is, you know, Doomsday was going to become an ongoing problem for Superman. But what I liked about this is I had 40 pages. I wanted to do a story that was a beginning and a middle and an end. And when you go from and, you know, we mimic the uh, storytelling approach of four, three, two, one panels throughout. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to bring this to an end where there was a solution. So that was important, too, because I think with Superman, as opposed to so many other characters, ideally, there is a solution. And in a lot of the Superman stories that I have written over the years, I have tried to provide that kind of a solution because I think there are heroes who try and solve problems and there are heroes who try and find the answers. Mm -hmm. And Superman does both of those things. And I, I think that's always important to understand about him as a character. Another theme that comes up in the new comic is like on two occasions, like Superman goes like, you, you know, I know how it went in the past. You have to trust me on this. You have to trust me to, to live up to um, expectations or, or whatever that, and this theme of like this tremendous pressure on him, like. He can never have a bad day. Um, so did like, for you as a creative, did you feel like killing Superman 30 years ago was a betrayal of trust? Um, both like as like um, like as a creative, like as the creative team killing Superman, but also like Superman in the eyes of Metropolis and the whole world. I don't think so, Lisa, because I think I, I think one of the things we really were very careful of is setting it up uh, in such a way that we made Doomsday such a problem mm -hmm. that whatever Superman did, even though there had been a loss of life and destruction up to that point, that Superman was still going to solve that problem. And uh, also because part of our reason for doing the story, as I explained earlier, was to get into this, the later issues, which at the time, you know, we called World Without a Superman or Funeral mm -hmm. for a Friend, which really did detail Superman's importance to the world. And what did he mean to Batman and the rest of the Justice League and everything else? So, I, I think ultimately what the story served to do was uh, really address what Superman means to us all, what Superman means to comics in general, um, the kind of things that he stands for that added uh, a really quite a lot to the tapestry of Superman's you know, universe of stories and, and really helped to flesh out some of those aspects of the character. Yeah, in revisiting the death of Superman and funeral for a friend before having this conversation, that's what I was struck by. So often in popular culture today, we argue about what Superman should and shouldn't do or how he should or shouldn't behave. Uh, and what's so beautiful about the aftermath of the death of Superman is you are exploring what he gave to the DC universe, but also what he gave to the readers, the symbol that he provided. And to come to those conclusions 30 years ago, you also have to come to those conclusions uh, within yourself as the, as the, the creator of the care or of the, of this storyline um, and this particular moment. 
what what were the things that you all were talking about regarding Superman and what he was meant to be and how we should observe him? Well, I think it, it goes right back to as we were just starting to talk about the story. And if we did the death of Superman, it was um, Mike Carlin. Again, he was our editor on the books of time who basically said, so you kill Superman. So what? Mm. What does that mean? And, and when you start to think about what does it mean? What will we say about the character? How do we handle the character's absence? How do we handle the character's funeral? Because that's a lot of what we would never see with characters when they had died in comics right. is necessarily the funeral, the commentary. Really, it was, you know, several issues that were eulogizing Superman. And that goes really right to the question of who is that character and what it is meaning to us, because that's something we all relate to in our personal lives, that it isn't until we lose someone that we really start to ask ourselves those questions. So that was so important from us right from the start that we sort of set up the broad strokes of that part of the story. And that's when we knew we could do the death of Superman. And only then did we go backwards and start to plan the death of itself and start to deal with this idea of a monster called Doomsday. Mm. You, you, you mentioned this a little bit uh, earlier, but that, that in the execution of the death of Superman and doing all these glorious splash pages, that moment when the two strike each other and they go down, the way that you choose to illustrate that moment through the lens of Jimmy Olsen's camera, uh, can you just talk about that page in particular and how you landed on that way of expressing the final moment? So if I go back to a couple of weeks before then, when I wrote the script, um, it was basically a little bit different than most comic scripts because it would just go through, you know, the course of the fight. And then only once I started to thumbnail it, where I took each page and drew it out roughly half of printed size, that I probably did 70 pages worth of the, the little mm. sketches and diagrams, trying to pick out then the 30 or so that were going to make it and be the most interesting. One of those things was already the awareness that Jimmy Olsen was going to be there as a photographer because we had already had the cover done for the following issue of Adventures of Superman with the photo that Jimmy took of Superman lying dead in the street. So I knew I had to have Jimmy on the scene. And there's this idea of, you know, that I thought was always cool where, you know, you'd see the image reflected in Jimmy's lens. And I just wondered if I could pull it off adequately. It worked out because it made Jimmy both the recorder of the event and a witness to the event. So that was going to set us up for what became later, because as Superman's best pal, you know, how would he feel in taking the photo of the instant that his best friend died? You know, stuff like yeah. that. Even as we assembled that issue, it was to help set up what was coming later. Yeah. I, again, like just rereading it this morning with that click and how it then takes us into the, the final moments of that issue where you now are observing the dead Superman and like the, the TV with Ma and Pa Kent, like it still, you know, puts a lump in my throat. Great. Thank you. That was the idea. That was the idea. That's what we wanted to do is, and if you get that, then yeah, you're in touch with the story and the characters. Um, 
But now with the news story, we have like Superman has changed in the last 30 years. He's now a father. He um like him that, and Lois are an item. Like, like I like or um, are bonded in marriage. Yep. Um, like so do you think if Superman well, well, one, the stakes for Superman personally are now different. Like his priorities are now different. He has a son who is also Kryptonian and also can be a target. And then also, like, do you think that if he died today, those eulogies would be different? Wow, that's a really good question. I hadn't, you know, it's it's interesting because I have spent time, quite a lot of time, thinking about how Superman has changed mm-hmm. over the years. Some of that is because he has aged. Some of that is because he has a child. And some of that is just because our times have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the eulogies, I do. I, I would see a spot now where uh, some of the eulogies might be a little different than they were at that time. It might come from different sources that we might not have considered at that time. That's a really good question. Hmm. Uh, well, Dan, we had such a good time revisiting the original and reading the Death of Superman special number one, and in particular, the Life of Superman story uh, that you're uh, a part of. And we just want to say thank you for coming on the show and discussing your thoughts on uh, the Man of Steel. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And it's always fun when it ends on a good question that I'll still be thinking about. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Brett. You're welcome. You're welcome. You have a great day. You too. Thanks, Dan. That was a, such a great conversation. Yeah, he's such a good guy. Um, I want to go back to the theme of trust and Superman going like, you know, you guys have to just trust me to handle Doombreaker. It's I, a big ask coming off of the 92 event. Like, right. we remember Superman. Uh, you died. Yeah, and the but I like the idea of him going like, I understand that now you're afraid of losing me again, mm-hmm. but I still have to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And and I and like if I were to take an if I were to take a lesson away from this, like that idea of like we're not killing it twenty four seven seven days a week. We're tripping all over our own two feet. We're making mistakes. We're being defeated all of the time, and yet we still have to return to work, go face that friend again, uh, you know, like make up after you've fought with your partner. And um, it is always like like, even after failure or defeat, we still have to return to the status quo and operate as if we have a reasonable expectation that Superman is going to be victorious again. Absolutely. I hope one of the things that folks listening to this episode took away from it is that they go back and revisit the original Death of Superman storyline. It is dated. It is very much 1992. But I think if you were one of the folks who, like me, had eventually dismissed it as a gimmicky thing, you will discover that there is still a tremendous amount of emotional power in that storyline. And just structurally, the way that Doomsday is introduced as this cataclysmic apocalyptic force is oh chef's kiss chef's kiss it's a really good comic and the death of superman special especially the life of superman 
is a brilliant way of revisiting that moment that happened 30 years ago. I do like having the story to add to my headcanon of the history of John Kent and how, like, he has this day that he can remember that where he knew that his dad wasn't perfect. Yeah, yeah. And how he can fold that into the man he is becoming now in the comics. I think it's truly beautiful. Personally, for me, reading these comics again did awaken a serious desire to do a proper session series with Lois and Clark on comic book couples counseling. I hope Elliot comic art is not listening to this episode right now, even though I know he totally is (laughs) because he's been begging for a Lois and Clark session series. And there's not a Superman thing that he does not partake in. But you read these comics and you see the relationship of Lois and Clark at their end And there is something very unique about their dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I would love to explore these comics again as part of a four-part series where we look at their relationship over many, many decades. We actually do have a Superman episode on the record, but it is a uh, cinematic departure. We have an episode talking about Richard Donner's Superman film with our friend Sean Eastrich. Yeah, from the Missing Frames podcast. That was a wonderful conversation. That movie still means so much to me, and we had a great time digging into it. So if you want more Superman content from CBCC, link in the show notes to that episode. Not related, but I think it might be Tom Sawyer that attended his own Mm. funeral, not Huckleberry Finn. Unfortunately, like my memory of all of Mark Twain's novels got kind of warped by the 1995 film Tom and Huck. Oh, okay. Starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Brad Renfro. I should have caught that. <laughs> they Lisa. were both at they were both at somebody's funeral. I'm an English major, but I didn't catch it. Whatever. And, you know, Mark Twain. I could have been right. There's a 50-50 shot. <laughs> so defensive, so defensive. Uh, you know, so before we get out of here, I just wanted to like shout out some more 1992 facts. Oh, how fun. Uh so when Superman died, the number one film at the box office was Spike Lee's Malcolm X. So it's also celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. They've got a new Criterion DVD out. It's exceptional. Uh, I think it's about to come out. How fun. Uh, So go grab that film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. The Big Toys of 1992. Barbie's Dream House was 1992. Yes, I did not have one, but I had friends with them and they are great. And do you remember the Hot Wheels Streaks Test Tracks? No. It was like a little track that you could like skid your Hot Wheels on. How fun. Yeah, yeah. So you would do like some fast and furious action before you even knew what like a Tokyo Drift and it was. Would, and it would like leave like a, a, a skid mark. Yeah, you would streak under obstacles and like blast through targets. And you would have like a little vehicle launcher and like 10 feet. Maybe it was like even 12 feet uh-huh. of track that you would race on. We definitely had like Hot Wheels car launchers, but I don't remember them skidding around being a particular feature of that. This was also the year of the L.A. riots and Rodney King's acquittal. Right before the death of Superman, Clinton became the president-elect. John Gotti, Mm -hmm. Teflon Don, Mm -hmm. gets sentenced to life in prison. I do think it's interesting when you go back and you look at 
the memorable events of 1992. And like on Wikipedia, if you go to the, like the big deaths of 1992, Superman is listed amongst the real people who died. That's wild. Yeah. So it was a huge event and it was so much fun revisiting it here on Comic Book Couples Counseling this week. But we got to go. We can't go without telling the good people what we have coming up next week. Yes, so we're in the middle of our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles session series. Last week's episode was on the first seven issues of the Mirage Studios line. And we're focusing on sibling dynamics using a book by Dr. Don Hubner, The Sibling Survival Guide, Surefire Ways to Solve Conflicts, Reduce Rivalry, and Have More Fun with Your Brothers and Sisters. So our next Ninja Turtles episode will focus on the Archie era. How fun. The Death Dream storyline in which Adolf Hitler appears and also a Raphael from the future. He's got one eye. Are we talking about a Ninja Turtles book or a Quentin Tarantino movie? We don't know. <laughs> it's really dark and strange. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Uh, our next episode for sure, though, is going to be our conversation with Ryan Silbert, Luke Lieberman, and Bill Sinkevich talking about their new book, Alliance's Orphans from Dynamite Entertainment. It's an extension of an idea that Stan Lee had back in the early aughts. And this conversation was really, really special. Yeah. Uh, of course, we're super excited to have Bill Sinkevich on the show. Ryan and Luke are incredible fans of this medium, and they are so conscious of wanting to respect the idea of Stanley, not ju not just the ideas of Stanley. And yeah. so it was fun to talk to them about how they manage that. And then the week after that, we're going to have our conversation with Alex Ross about Fantastic Four Full Circle, which we think is one of this year's masterpieces, right? And conversationally a fun counterpoint to the Alliance's conversation. I think that they kind of like, I think of them paired in my mind. Yeah, there's the Stan Lee show, and then there's the Jack Kirby show, exactly. and they do smash well together. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so that's what we've got coming up. A lot of cool stuff. Oh yeah, Elisa Quitney, author of Guilt, former Sandman assistant editor. She's coming on the show as well. I hope she's my new best friend because yeah. she is so fun. We're working on it. <laughs> but yes, that is going to do it for us, Lisa. How do we get to the actual outro, outro stuff? I generally come up with like something clever yeah. that relates to the show. And then I say... And where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? <laughs> you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean. Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. Also, you can pick up a copy of Northern Virginia yes, Magazine. I was wondering when you would work that into this I episode. I forgot about it. We were named well, we weren't named anything. We were told, you know, if you pick up a copy of Northern Virginia Magazine. We're on page 15. Open to page 15. You'll see 
the kinds of things that are on their radar. Yes, that's us. Like Michelle Obama's new book. <laughs> We're right next to Michelle Obama. We're a podcast that's on the radar of Northern Virginia Magazine. There also is a mystery, like a baking-themed mystery book that looks really interesting. I might also... They're, they're now on my radar. It's stupid how proud I am of being in Northern Virginia Magazine. As a former Barnes & Noble employee who sold a ton of those magazines at the Reston location... It is an honor. Yeah. So, Lisa, your uh, should, turn. Should we continue with continue. the outro? Yeah. You can give us the gift of five stars <laughs> in Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So uh, until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. We also forgot to promote our newsletter that's launching this week, too. So if you're still listening, go to the website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, scroll to the bottom, put your email in there, and we'll shoot you our brand new newsletter, which we're calling Our Psychic Rapport. Yeah, and it's probably going to include a little preview of our Alex Ross interview. Yes, it most definitely will have a preview of our Alex Ross interview. Just like our latest Patreon episode had a preview of our Elisa Quitney interview. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, plug, plug. The end. Plug, plug, plug. You know what's been bothering me this whole record? What? Is I misquoted Captain Kirk from Star Trek II. Oh, no. It's of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Who's defensive now, Brad? I just hope the people who've been like shouting at their podcast machine, whatever machine that <laughs> is, uh, listen all the way to this outro. Not it's an outro, it's a stinger. If you're still listening to the stinger, just know that I also know that I screwed up and I'm sorry. Our recorded button is getting tired, Brad. Yeah. Let's let's put it to bed. <laughs>